Welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about doubt. There seems to be a little bit of an epidemic of people deconstructing their faith and hitting these walls of doubt. Hmm. And we want to just talk about what's going on there and how to maybe help somebody process through some of their doubts. Yeah, sounds good. First, it is story time, story or joke time, and it is my dad's turn. Yeah, so uh, one day on a Sunday morning, I'm I'm standing up on the platform at the church and I'm teaching my guts <laughs> out, and and uh, I notice that uh, the kids pastor had walked in the back of the auditorium mm-hmm. and is standing there and starts whispering to people around him like they're looking <laughs> for something. And I'm so it's funny how you can keep talking and have a thousand thoughts fly through your mind at the same time and. And I'm thinking, oh, there must be a really upset child or they're looking for a parent. Oh, yeah. You know, that's kind of what I'm thinking. So I just keep going. And then I see them talk to a few more people. And I'm like, hmm, this might be getting serious back there. Mm -hmm. And then one of them walks down to the very front row where Julie, your sister, my daughter, Mm -hmm. is seated. And they start talking to Julie. And I thought, well, that's weird. And they hand her a piece of paper. Or she she takes a piece of paper and writes something down. And she walks up and lays it on the platform at my feet and then goes back to her seat. So I pause in my... Ominous. Yes. And so I kind of pause my thought, pick up the thing. And when I look at it, it says, your fly is open. (laughs) (laughs) And I go, wait one second. And I turn my back to the crowd and I do this exaggerated kind of jump and zip at the same time. Oh, my word. And the place goes crazy, you know. And, uh, it was, I, I, I'm glad I thought to do that. Cause you know, if you, if you self deprecate and just make a big deal out of this embarrassing moment, it goes away faster. Mm-hmm. And so to an extent, a, a, a big deal, but not like, you know, you weren't making like three stooges jokes about it, you know? Right. Like, and what, what had happened is I was wearing a pair of lucky jeans at the time, which I don't wear anymore. Somebody had given me this pair. And, um, so in lucky jeans, right behind the zipper is this white, tag that says lucky mm-hmm. so if the zipper's so lucky undone so, so the whole church says, yeah so lucky you yeah <laughs> so this zipper is coming down a little bit and and i have a tendency to put my hands in and out of my pockets mm-hmm. and they said that every time i put my hands in my pockets it would unzip a little further oh. and do this kind of pop open thing mm-hmm. and you could see this white tab sure and so the longer i went the worse it got until they finally told me so a couple weeks later somebody brought me a little thing to hang on my office it's a little ceramic wall hanging thing, and it's this fly fisherman mm-hmm. with his rod and reel, and it says, check your fly. So that's <laughs> yeah. hanging by my office door so that every time I walk out of the door, I see this thing remind me to check my fly. Nice. Yeah. I was actually there that day. I was sitting next to Julie on the front row. Yeah. And uh, they wanted, they handed it to me first. <laughs> and you for, said, I ain't doing that. Yeah, I said, I, that just shows how how uh, uh, embarrassed I can be sometimes. I wouldn't even walk to, walk. You know, ten steps to the stage to put a note to there rescue to, your dad from this. Well, if it I was mean, if it wasn't going to get done, I would have done it. But Julie was right there, and she obviously has no qualms. And I tell you, the thing I love about her is she will just tell you if you're looking stupid, she'll tell you, and that's mm-hmm. a true friend. Yeah, it is. So we're going to talk about doubt today, and and what triggered this conversation is a 
uh, an announcement by a guy named Marty Sampson. And he's one in kind of, it seems like a long rash of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marty is a guy from Australia. He sounded like it, Australia or New yeah, Zealand. Or... That's where Hillsong's you know, from. Okay, sure. And he uh, has been a songwriter, worship leader with Hillsong for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, on his Instagram, he uh, announced that he's leaving the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And so um, I thought I would just kind of read his post, and then we could just talk about it. How's that sound? Sure, yeah. All right, so he says, time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith, and it doesn't bother me. Like, what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy now, so at peace with the world. It's crazy. This is a soapbox moment, so here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. And no one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send 4 billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people. But it's not for me. I'm not in anymore. I want genuine truth, not the I just believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change their lives, not just one version of God. Got so much more to say, but for me, I'm keeping it real. Unfollow me if you want. I've never been about living my life for others. All I know is what's true to me right now, and Christianity just seems to me like another religion at this point. I could go on, but I won't. Love and forgive, absolutely. Be kind, absolutely. Be generous and do good to others, absolutely. Some things are good no matter what you believe. Let the rain fall. The sun will come up tomorrow. Hmm. What was your first reaction when you read that? Um, well, I I wasn't familiar with the guy. My first reaction was kind of um, it was sad, of mm-hmm, course. Mm-hmm. And then later, actually, uh, uh, we played a, an interview from him when we were, you know, kind of looking into thinking this. about this. Yeah, and uh, that made me more sad because the interview from, was from years ago, and he was a uh, seemed to be just a really, um, I don't know, really kind and really into into the faith at that mm-hmm, time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that made it made it worse um on a critical level uh he makes a lot of these grand statements right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Th- these things aren't talked about um these fallacies exist um and i was i was grateful because uh it showed me a change in myself we've talked about this little little renaissance i'm in uh with the uh with, with your own faith yeah with my yeah. with my own faith and um, one of the things that I struggled with, and a lot of people do, is these is these contradictions, quote unquote, and these just these these generalizations. Um, and uh, going into scripture, one of the things I realized is that these contradictions um, in the reading I've done since then, which is I haven't been keeping great track, but it's a lot. It's, it's enough for me to brag about <laughs> on a podcast. Um, I haven't found any that could not be reconciled. Mm. And so I think one of the things I realized then, and and it came up again now today, is that um, these generalizations are oftentimes just that. 
that there's not as much substance there as you might think. He uses, again, the, the science keeps piercing holes in religion. Mm-hmm. That's an attitude of the culture right now. Right. But if you try and look at actual examples, there's not a ton of them. Mm-hmm. You can bring up um, carbon dating and how old the earth is. Right, right. Short of that, I can't tell you much. Like like how, how old the universe is with the Big Bang, that can be reconciled through Scripture. Um, microevolution, easily reconciled through Scripture. Uh, there's not a ton that, that really hits. Certainly that troubles you. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or that even, and I take the, I take scripture very, very literally, yeah. uh, maybe not, not word for word because of the different, um, translations, mm-hmm. but, but, uh, um, truth for truth, you know? Right. Right. Um, anyway, so that was, that was my first thing is use a lot of general generalizations. And uh, I, this isn't to be defensive about the church because the we don't talk about these things is a valid criticism. Yeah. Uh, and there are people out there. I know um, uh, John Piper for, uh, you know, his uh, love him or hate him. He, he, he focuses a lot on these, on these, just, just the, the, the tough, grisly The apologetics questions. kind of questions. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of guys. Lee Strobel. You know, he. this yeah. is all he does. This yeah. is all C.S. Lewis did. Yeah. Uh, apologetics as a whole is just this field. Yeah. Um, so at first I was a little indignant about that part, the contradictions part where I was like, as far as I really, what it was is I, it made me wonder how far he's, how deep he's gone in this. Mm-hmm. Because for me, um, the doubt, uh, that he seems to have had for a while, uh, if you just kind of sit on it, it just gets worse. And mm-hmm. the real way to handle it is to actually look at it and go deeper there. And when you do that. It's like a, um, I don't, I'm trying, I'm struggling to think of an analogy, which is tough because I'm normally the analogy guy. Right. Um, but it's like, it's like a structural insecurity. And as soon as you look at it, you can fix it. It's just not there anymore. Right. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. It seems like your first response is, um, I'm not buying what this guy's selling. I, I, in the sense that, uh. I don't know. I guess the problem is I don't know what he's selling, but in the sense that I don't think he dove as deep as he could have, which is not, you know, that's not an educated call. Yeah. Who knows? This guy. Yeah. He's a professional, um, worship songwriter. So you'd think he'd, you know, he would have gone pretty deep. Yeah. On a side note, I can say that professional Christianity, that's an interesting term. Mm -hmm. And I would mean by that people who make their living in church work or, uh, religious work. Mm-hmm. So uh, worship leaders, pastors, evangelists, uh, missionaries, maybe even, although that's less of a thought to what I'm saying, but mm-hmm. uh, it is hazardous to your spiritual health to make a living um, in the work of God. Uh, because there's so many things involved that you get money from it. You Well, there's, that what you mean? well, what I mean is um, it's easy to lose your way hmm. and everything becomes pragmatic. I've got sure. to teach another lesson. I've got to get up and do this song. I've got to move this audience. I've got to persuade these people. I've got to raise this money. I've got to do this project. I've got to recruit more volunteers. I've got to move people to do this project. And so it's so easy to get lost in the work of the church and kind of lose that first love relationship you have with, with God where the soul stays refreshed and connected to Christ. Mm-hmm. Lots of guys drift into the only time I study the Bible is to prepare something to teach. Sure. And that yeah. becomes a really hard way to live. So I think one of the things I'm learning, I've got some good friends who were uh, amazing pastors 
who've thrown in the towel, not on their faith, but on the church and on professional ministry. Hmm. They absolutely believe that the demands placed on pastors is ridiculous and that the occupation itself is hazardous. And so with this guy, it's interesting that he, you know, has spent his life writing worship music, doing Hillsong, traveling the world, doing these things. And it's a, it's an interesting subculture mm-hmm. that can become to me, uh, intensely confusing Sure. in your, just your spiritual vibrancy. So I hadn't thought of that before this all, as we started talking about that, but to me, that's no small factor. And we're seeing, I saw a stat the other day. I don't have any idea if it's accurate, but 1900 pastors a week leaving the ministry. Wow. And the, well, you talked about the rash of people doing this of, of, of these kinds of crises. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one that happened, you know, two weeks ago was another, uh, uh, an author, at least, if not a mm-hmm. professional, I don't know if he's in ministry or not. Yeah, he was a pastor. Pastor. Yeah. And he um, divorced his wife and, and has given up on the faith and, um, and he had a whole different set of reasons, not so much these contradictions as it was, uh, a sense that he had been too legalistic, too hardcore, um, not loving enough. And I think as people, as people who have had a faith system that was black and white binary mm-hmm. and maybe, um, highly structured, then when their, their life starts to unravel as it did for him, where he ended up leaving his wife and filing for divorce, he needs to find a faith system that allows him to process all of that chaos in his soul and his religious system didn't allow for that. It, it, it allowed for binary answers to every question. Sure. And so that makes it even more difficult when you're in that kind of a framework, and yet the framework's not working for you. Yeah. I think the thing I would like to talk about is that doubt, you know, kind of, um, well, his, his line, you know, pastors fail and nobody talks about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, blah, 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 blah. Nobody talks about it. So the first thing I'd like to say is, man, let's talk about it. Yeah. You know, my encouragement to people who have doubts is, first of all, doubt is normal. It is extremely normal. In fact, I would say it's abnormal to never have a doubt. Yeah. Uh, My basic belief is if you go through your Christian life without having a doubt, then you've turned your brain off because there's too many confusing things in the scriptures, in life in our experiences to keep us wondering how come this prayer gets answered and that one doesn't, how come the miracles happen there, but not here, how come whatever you can go through, you know, a myriad of things. And so I would say it's normal to doubt. And even in Matthew 28, when Jesus is the resurrected Christ is standing there and he's given them the great commission just before he ascends into heaven, it says they worshiped him and some doubted. Mm -hmm. So they're standing right there with the resurrected physical Jesus and doubting. So I think doubt is a very normal thing, and we should not um, give any impression that there's something wrong with you if you have doubts. Yeah, not to to backpedal at all, but I definitely came in strong on the, um, you know, the you're not do- you weren't doing this right type thing. Yeah, uh, that, that surprised me because that's not your normal compass. Well, and it wasn't. That's not exactly. That was what what that's one of the my many responses. So when yeah. you said, "What was your first thing?" Yeah, that was kind of your first reaction. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's not at all to say that there aren't lots of you know the Bible's not cut and dry. Mm-hmm. So when I say I, I can't find contradictions, it means I can't find um, irreconcilable contradictions. Right, right, where right. wait, 
this looks like two different gods or right. this looks like two different, right. you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have so many questions um, and doubts. Mm-hmm. Um, so not, not to, to roll back what I said, but, yeah. the, but yeah. I guess I, I want to make sure I didn't seem like I was coming across mm-hmm. less understanding than I am. Um, and part of it is, uh, um, I think a lot of people, or I think the problem that the, this, uh, guy's having is that the, um, of many churches aren't responsive to those doubts. It's kind of a don't talk about it right. thing. Yeah. There are certainly places where doubting is not okay. <clears throat> and to question leadership's not okay. You know, um, well, there was an article recently, I think it was Christianity Today. Mm-hmm. Um, how can some people be so anointed by God and so spiritually gifted and so fundamentally broken at the same mm-hmm. time? And there's a lot of that. You know, we are broken, flawed human beings. And so yeah. um, the fact that God gives spiritual gifts or favor to a person in no way means they are errorless uh, and have all their junk figured out. So, uh, man, I, I, I guess the first thing I want to say is for us, we want to say process your doubts and have conversations because mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> we need to be able to do that. We need to be able to struggle. And you see through the scriptures, lots of people struggle in their doubts and, 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 uh, God is patient. He keeps working that. So uh, that's an important thing to think about. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the, the things that makes this tricky, and I have this uh, perception, I still do a lot of times, is that uh, the, uh, as much as faith is um, stressed in the New Testament, faith, 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 it's all, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's all about this. Um, and I think the natural inclination for me is to believe that doubt is the opposite of faith. Mm. So in that, that just by nature makes it um, something you don't want to have something that is morally wrong instead of just, um, instead of just a thing that you have to deal with that normally, morally neutral. Sure. What, uh, how do you, you know, are they opposite sides of a coin? How does that work? I think they are neighbors on the same street. So, if you're going to go through and process genuinely your belief in God, mm-hmm. if you're going to wrestle with what the, the presence of God is actually like, if you're going to read the book of Acts and then process, why aren't those miracles happening now? Sure. When is the last time somebody's shadow fell across somebody and they got healed because that person was so uh, anointed from God? Mm-hmm. Um, so y- you can't walk the street of, faith exploration and journey without bumping into doubt, I would say. So faith and doubt live on the same street. They require, you could blindly have faith, but that's not real faith. You know, faith is to say, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe if I haven't processed or think, I, you know, to some degree. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. How, do, how, do, how does one have both is I guess what I mean. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I have this belief that, to be a Christian means that you will hit a wall. And in fact, I think, um, I think there's four kinds of people in every church. There's the exploring Christ person who's kind of checking out the claims of Christ. I'm not sure what I believe yet, but I'm hanging around here. I think there might be something here mm-hmm. that I want to understand. And then there's the holy cow. I just became aware that God is real. Like I've had an experience or an aha or something. Sure. 
and I believe. I've entered into belief. I believe. Then there's that growing Christian that's kind of on that ravenous growth spurt that we hit when we enter into faith. Mm -hmm. And then they hit a wall. And I would say there's a stuck Christian. And I think it's very possible that the majority of people sitting in pews on a Sunday morning in any given church fit into the stuck Christian category. Hmm. And what gets us stuck generally in my uh, belief is disappointment. Uh, We prayed for someone who didn't get healed. A friend of ours died. Someone we love who we know loves God has come out as gay. And we can't reconcile how someone who loves God this much and who believes in the faith that we believe in can't get delivered from this or reconcile this in some way. Uh, There's any number of things that can happen. And a lot of times when I read these guys who are deconstructing their faith and walking away from Christianity, deep at the root is a deep wound of disappointment somewhere in there that they can't reconcile. And so as we hit this wall, we got to get through that somehow. And I think the only way through is to go deep with God and go into this inner self. And that and that's the inner life to go. Uh, if we don't go in that inner life and, and quest this with God, then we won't end up reconciling it and moving toward a deeper relationship with God. Here's the thing that mm-hmm. strikes me with this whole deconstruction movement. How okay. come uh, Paul is getting shipwrecked, stoned? Uh, beaten within an inch of his life, and not one time does he doubt the God he serves. How is it that uh, these apostles are, you know, Peter says, hey, if you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to die like Jesus. You you don't see in this New Testament authorship, you don't see these guys complaining that their comfort needs weren't met or they didn't get abundance sure. or or, you know, Paul has this thorn in the flesh about his, and most scholars believe it's his vision, that he's got Hmm. terrible vision, but he loves to read and he loves to write, and you're in a world with no corrective lenses. Oh, that's why he had scribes write for him? Right, and he would say, this I wrote with my own hands. See with what large letters I write, because he had to write large to even be able to read his own writing. So uh, he was tormented by it. That's the opinion of others. I'm not sure I would call that his thorn in the flesh, because he says... In, you know, he says, there was, I was given this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Hmm. And he said, I prayed three times that God would take it away from me. And instead, the answer I got is, my grace is sufficient for you. And God tells him, I'm in your weakness, you're going to become strong. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you grace in this battle instead of victory. Well, you don't see him complain about that. You don't see him right. doubt his faith or doubt the the validity of Christianity because God didn't give him what he wanted. And it's interesting to me that uh, the compass shifts when you deconstruct uh, suddenly, because I keep asking, the question I keep coming back to is, what's the ruler? You're measuring up God mm-hmm. and measuring up Christianity to see if it measures up. Well, what ruler are you holding in your hand? And it turns out to be your own logic. It turns out to be, for example, your definition of love. One of the things he said is, how can God be a God of love and 4 billion people go to hell? Well, I'm not sure I would say 4 billion people go to hell. I'm not sure I would word it that way. Mm-hmm. But what that says is, by definition, that if God is love, then nobody's held accountable for their actions. Right. Well, I know for a fact that's not love. If you have a parent raising a child and they never hold that child accountable for their behaviors, that's not loving parenting. So 
so the ruler they're holding in their hand is their understanding of love, mm-hmm. which would mean that nobody has to suffer for their sin. Well, I'm not sure that's what I would call love. Right. So uh, for me, I keep going to what, what's the ruler? And the ruler, it turns out it has to be God himself. In my, in, in the way, you know, when I struggle with my doubts, I go back to what building blocks can I count on? And I think that the reality of a God, you look at creation itself, it would require a ton of faith to believe there is no God. Sure. This is clearly a created order. There's so much order, the human body, the way things work together. It's clearly created. Mm-hmm. So that's a given to me. There is a God. Well, then if there is a God and he made everything, he probably deserves to be obeyed and surrendered to unless he is some cruel jokester and it's all a sick joke and I can't get there. So that means somehow if I can't understand God, then the problem's with me, not with him because he's way smarter than me. I got three pounds of brain in my head trying to figure this out. And so I defer that God is right. I must be wrong. I'm confused. I'm hitting a wall. I, I have doubts. But the power of a God necessary to do all this means he's really smart too. And I and I accept by faith that I just haven't figured him out yet, but that he is true and I am errant. So these are the this is the foundation that you're talking about. Yeah, when I have my doubts, you know, mm-hmm. when I when I go through seasons of doubts and I've had them in my life. Uh, I, I always go back to, well, what can I count on? You know? Yeah. And I can count on there is a God. I mean, no one could ever convince me otherwise. So when we talk about um, Paul, how he never never doubts and all these things, mm-hmm. uh, one thing that I think is important is that he's constantly um, in conversation with God. Yeah. Uh, it's never a, uh, he's never wondering. Mm-hmm. It's not... I prayed three times for the thorn of my flesh and I heard nothing. It's right. he got a response. Yeah, he did. I don't know who could say that. Who was a prayer didn't go answered, but they got a different response. That's crazy to mm. me. Uh, and I think a lot of these, I, I won't speak for these guys anymore because I don't know. Them. Yeah. For, yeah no. for me, the, the, the doubt always seems to be related to silence. Mm. And that is the biggest disappointment. As far as I know, uh, it's not prayer. And you can identify answered. with that one. Yeah. Because, um, because it's one of the one of the many promises of God that seems to be, um, maybe not the most observable, but but just that He will uh, honor your turn to Him. That He would that if you if you mm-hmm. give to Him, mm-hmm. He'll give back to you, and He will meet you. Right. And um, so I think one of because because humans are just we're just kind of indignant by nature, right? That's just the the pride. And so when uh, uh, God not only demands that He be worshipped, and then won't even look at you when you worship him. That's right. kind of like the one, two punch. That is, that's a, that's a tough thing. So, uh, the fact that Paul was constantly hearing back from God is a huge thing, I think. Um, and, um, most people hear about in the Bible, you know, like the, the, the Kings of Israel, it sounds mm-hmm. like sometimes they would have long periods of silence and they would just rule. Yeah. Um, but not so much in, in, you know, modern, modern quote unquote, uh, Christianity. So, um, for me, that's a big, a big thing. And I wonder if that, if it is the case with so these let me, guys. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. I think my voice just cracked. I'm, I'm becoming a man. <laughs> um, you've been on this journey where you said, I'm going to make a serious commitment to, to reading the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Would you say that you've experienced the same amount of silence since you made that commitment or less silence or more silence? 
It sounds like I'm at a doctor's office. Like, <laughs> right the silent, or point to the face on this scale yeah. that, that yeah. shows yeah. the the frustration you have. Less silence. And why? What makes you say that? Um, mostly because of the uh, interaction with scripture is so um, dynamic. You know, so just by merit of reading it, praying for the, the, the reading you're about to do, mm-hmm. praying for a, a sort of um, anointment on that on that reading mm-hmm. and, and for that interaction, um, that is a, um, I was going to say commerce. That's not what I meant. That, that is a, uh, that's a conversation. Yeah. And you so, feel like the scriptures are speaking to you. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, I still, I've never heard an audible voice. I still have a hard time, uh, telling when like, a, a thought might be from God, you know, in my, in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is that is very that's a regular thing now, and that's not without didn't you? So you have a dynamic relationship with God's word, right? Which would be attributable to the fact that God is engaged in the word, right? Which would mean that God is in fact speaking to you. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm trying no. to say say what no, I'm hearing you say. That's, yeah, you're you're right on track, and that's why I think um, a person who believes what we believe um, for a long period of disappointment plus silence mm-hmm. that's an that's an equation that's really really ripe for a um a deep frustration mm-hmm. and, and doubt mm-hmm. you know yeah i th- i think that what i want to say is that if i were to encourage someone who's in the middle of doubts mm-hmm. and maybe like you're saying you know man the silence is driving me crazy i keep asking and he says if you seek me i will be found by you but I'm doing all this seeking, and I don't feel like I'm doing much finding. Right. Um, I would. I would. The first thing I would point to is the Bible. Like, get in the book, and not just read it as fast as you can, or read it to get it done, mm-hmm. but to but to read it thoughtfully and slowly and reflectively, and see if God might speak to you through the scriptures, because I believe He He will. And so, um, this may be naive of me. But I've been a pastor for 20-some years, and I've not met someone who's been consistently engaged in the Scriptures, having a private altar where they spend time with God, hoping He will speak to them, asking God questions, communing with God, and trying their best to surrender their life to God. I I, I don't know that I've met anyone who's engaged in that kind of lifestyle who throws their hands up in the air and quits the faith. Sure. So then, um, remind me, help me remember to go back to the silence thing. Cause I have one more thing to say, but this is good. I, I want to, you know, yeah. Um, the, we can't assume very much about these guys, but what you're saying is that they weren't, you, you, you would assume that they weren't really giving it their all there. No, I'm I'm not saying that. And that, that would be unfair to say. Yeah. I think that's a factor. I'm just trying to figure out the factors that would lead me to quit. And I think one of them is this silence factor. And if I'm not, if I'm not engaging with God, and then there's another factor that pops in my head. And this is anecdotal because of the number of people I've um, spent time with in the last 25 years. Hmm. And that is that they, uh, you know, life is uh, givers and takers. There are people who are predominantly givers. They make people's lives better. You feel better when you hung around them. They clearly just love to give. And then there right. are people who are takers. They're constantly looking for what somebody's going to give them. They measure everything based on what they got out of the deal. And they view the world that way. 
other people view the world, you know, is the world a playground or is the world a battleground? If you believe that this is a world that is, we are born into a cosmic battleground between good and evil, and in a battleground there are casualties and and you have to pick a side. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I think worldview kind of things, optimist versus pessimist, I think temperament can have a lot to do with this. And yeah. I meet people who live in the victim chair. They can't get past a statement like this. I've asked God to give me blank and he won't do it. Right. And they're so mad about that. Whereas I have the general compass that says this life could crap on my head every day for the rest of my life. And God has still been better to me than I deserve. Hmm. I'm just blown away at the goodness of God. My basic compass is gratitude, not uh complaint. Yeah. Well, and, that's so, sorry. No, go ahead. That, uh, that positioning is kind of how I feel is how I think about that. And I, th- I think uh, that's been huge too. So like when you say like God hasn't given me this or when uh, you look at certain things that God um, demands, you know, mm-hmm. he, the was, so when you think about, it, we were made to glorify God going back to last week. Right. Um, a lot of people, including mine sometimes the knee jerk reaction is like, well, that's kind of selfish and like weird and rude, right? Like from God's point, from, from our, from us yeah, thinking about God, that yeah. He created us just to glorify Him, exactly. Yeah, um, and that perspective is the, you know, I am at this level. I'm using hand gestures. I'm at like a six. No, well, that, I mean that might be more accurate. I'm at like a nine. So how could anyone be like, hey, you exist to glorify me? But if the automatic assumption is that a perfect God created a disobedient prideful people mm-hmm. uh, and he is that much uh, impossibly greater than you that makes complete sense and that it's not a he, how dare he create you to glorify him it's how in the world is he still not just wiped it all out like right just know. been so exasperated right. with our inability to do that exactly <laughs> and that's kind of that's that perspective thing um, with with the the silence this is what I was what I was uh, thinking about uh, it's this T.S. Eliot um, poem, The Four Quartets. And he talks about how the uh, silence of God from his perspective is a lot like in a play. As he wrote this, you know, mm-hmm. 100 years ago, uh, 70 years ago, long time ago. Um, uh, when the curtains go in and the light goes down and you hear rustling as they prepare the next scene. Mm-hmm. That and, and he looks forward. The silence he takes with hope that God is preparing the next beautiful thing that's cool yeah so it's not a it's not a well look at this desert i'm in now it's a i can't wait for what's waiting for me on the other side of this silence yeah and uh, that perspective because that's true um and that's also true that the silence really sucks so it's yeah. it's about the perspective of what it is i guess and life does have a lot of pain in it mm-hmm. and so that pain is real one of the things going back to the glory you know we're made for god's glory is that selfish of him to do that sure I think another thing that I think about with that is when a thing fulfills the purpose for which it was made, it experiences fulfillment because that's what it was made for. Mm-hmm. So I think about a, a gasoline engine for a vehicle. If you have a fuel pump and the fuel pump was designed to pump fuel into the engine and the fuel pump, if it had, if it, if it had personality and care, you know, whatever, sure. if it was uh, animate, it might say, 
well, that sucks. I just pump fuel to the engine. The engine gets all the glory. <laughs> but it was made for that. And when it mm-hmm. when it hums at what it's made for, all is right with the function of that vehicle. Right. And I, I think, though God is not transactional with us in our relationship with him, he is emotional and relational as well, that we were made for this purpose. And when we fulfill the purpose for which we were made, there's a harmony that kicks in to our human soul. Yeah. Because we were made for it. And I think there's a part of our soul deep in the core of who we are that carries DNA from the Garden of Eden. And we know this about ourselves. And so when we when we connect at that deepest level of I am nothing, he is everything, and I'm going to lose my life for him, mm-hmm. there's something deep inside of you that goes, yes, this is why you were made. Yeah, and just the the idea that posture. I think I used the word positioning earlier. the The real word that I resonate with there is posture. Yeah, and uh, it's not that he is sitting up in in you know close to another, another dimension, just like waiting for you to come to him. He sacrifices and he gives. The fact that we exist is a is a huge um, gift on it. He didn't have to do that. Yeah, and and so it's it's it's. Um, I don't know. It's that we really are in a negative balance as far as the mm-hmm. whole relationship goes. Yeah. When, when I think about how does he send all these people to hell, I think God doesn't send anyone to hell. Uh, people choose to go there because they refuse to bow their knee to the God who created them. Mm-hmm. And that's a willful choice. And uh, angels in heaven who had full exposure to the glory of God made that choice. Mm-hmm. Satan and two and a third of the angels. So it's possible to encounter God, to experience God, and still say, "No, I am King of all that I survey, and I will not bow my knee to sure. any god." And to to say that posture doesn't that that for God to acknowledge your posture, all He's given people who go to hell is exactly what they asked for. They want a world without God. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to give them one. Yeah. The way I, uh, another friend of mine was struggling with, with this and the way I explained it to him, um, in a way that it kind of, I, it came to me on the spot. I don't know, again, with my kinds of kinds of doubts, I didn't know if this is one of those things with the spirit speaking through me to this friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but that in, in the legal system, because of God's, um, perfection, which is, um, it has you know, there, there are rules there that he is perfect. So we can't like God can do anything, but he's not going to, uh, to maintain that perfection. He's not going to let wickedness go unpunished, you know, mm-hmm. right, for example. Right. So, uh, so like say, cause, cause this friend's a new father. And so with his son, he was having these, these struggles where it's like, how could, um, you know, our father, God send ch- his children to, to hell. And, uh, the way I explained it and I'm ignorant cause I don't have a kid. I don't know what that, feels mm-hmm. like it's amazing um, i'm sure uh but was uh so so say that kid uh commits an atrocity and is on death row and you say to him let me take that punishment for you mm-hmm. and uh, the courts are okay with it if the kid says yes and the kid just says no i won't i won't accept that mm-hmm. and there's nothing you can do you 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 offered it the well kid it's, said even, no, it's even it's even more than that it's 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 God saying, I already took that punishment for you. Right. So accept it. So I didn't, yeah, I'm not even offering to, I did it. I've suffered the most brutal death possible. I laid aside my glory. He who knew no sin became sin itself on that cross so that all of us could be free. And if you say, uh, 
no, I, I refuse to accept your gift of freedom. I don't know what you can do about that. Right. The law dictates because of God's yeah. perfection. Now, the hang up here is when people say, well, what about those tribes and all the other parts of the world who never heard the name of Jesus? How could they possibly bow their knee to Jesus? Hey, if there's religious people who say those people are all going to hell with a blanket swoop, I can't sign up for that. Hmm. You know, I believe that Romans 1 makes room for that creation itself bears witness to the glory of God so that we are without excuse. So anywhere in the world, if they've not heard of Jesus, they had no idea what Christ has done for them. They still have the witness of creation and they can bow their knee to the authority of this God who clearly exists. Even though I don't understand him, I don't know him, I will in fact worship him. And there's documentation of God appearing to these unreached people uh, before missionaries even get to them mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. visions and dreams. Mm-hmm. So there's no there's no way to confidently say these people have been not reached. And think about the arrogance it takes to say that person went to heaven or that person went to hell. Who mm-hmm. in the world are you to know that? Yeah. So I would never say that about anyone that the scriptures don't say it about. Yeah. Okay, so um, I, we'll get to our takeaways here in just a second, but let's take a commercial break, John. Uh, what do we want to say uh, today about... Uh, helping us on this journey we're on yeah so we are uh upstream our podcast is part of the bigger jim and john platform uh which you can most easily take a look at at jimandjohn.com uh spell out a n d and no h in the john yep uh and uh there we've already written uh one book earlier this year we do some uh, blogs on there yeah and really what what we're saying is that the podcast is one just it's it's the tool we're focused on the most right now Mm because we can do it every week and and we want to continue to do this for hopefully a long, long time. But there's other tools we also want to produce. Some ideas that we have to write uh, books, ebooks, uh, full-length books. Um, we want to we want to try to create content that helps people process their faith um, and move further in their journey of faith and relationship with Christ. Yeah. So our, our dream is for those people that we mentioned earlier that have, that have hit that wall. Yeah. We really want to help these people because we think it's a huge demographic. Uh, and, uh, and there's just a lot of growth that, that can be done there. And it's hard when you're there, you can feel very, uh, helpless almost. Yeah. And you know, one thing I think is that, um, people feel, and I think this whole conversation we're having today about doubt, Mm -hmm. one of the things people feel is a sense of no spiritual fathers. And so, um, one of the, one of the, the unique thing about our relationship is this father and son dynamic, you know, um, the big age difference between us mm-hmm. and, and this spiritual fathering conversations we can have. I think there's a desire in the heart of lots of people who are journeying their faith to have, be able to have conversations that totally where they can process their, their faith. And so we want to do that both with the podcast. We want to do it with some books we can offer in the future. And so Patreon is a way where people can become partners with us to help that happen. Yeah. It's a, uh, Patreon is a crowdfunding tool. You can go on there and give as little as $1 a month. Uh, to us, we'll receive that directly with a, a little bit taken off for the, for the platform, uh, for, for Patreon. And, uh, there are benefits to that. You can get the podcast, uh, f- three days early, you know, Friday instead of Monday, um, and other stuff like that. But really it is, it is, uh, partnering with us on this goal that we have. Mm-hmm. And, awesome. Uh, yeah. We'd love to see it go further. So. Yeah. And the other thing you can do for us is make sure you subscribe to the podcast uh, be sure and rate it on whatever platform you're using and then share it with a friend. That'd be great. Yeah, please. 
All right. So, John, what's your takeaway on this kind of conversation about processing our doubts? And I want to say before you answer the question, Mm -hmm. I want to say that um, we sound, I think maybe, and, and, you know, we haven't listened to this. (laughs) We're we're talking about it in real time. It's I'm I'm afraid we sound like people who don't doubt and who are unwavering and maybe not as compassionately understanding of those who doubt. And I just want to point out doubts are completely normal. And no question is off uh, limits mm-hmm. as you process your faith. God's not bothered by our questions. He's not bothered by our doubts. And I pray that we can be the church where it is safe to process these complicated questions of the journey of our soul. So we want to encourage doubters, not be a place where you think, well, I'm not talking to those guys. They, right. you know, they're, they're not uh, compassionate toward my struggle. Yeah. Before, before I get to the, my takeaway, I really want to emphasize um, cause I do, I, I think I especially came off that way. And what I really wanted to emphasize was the hope that mm. there is. Mm-hmm. I don't want anyone who's feeling doubt right now to, to feel like, oh, I've now, I've seen that all of this is fake and there's no going back. Yeah. You know, I don't, I, I want people to know that that's not, that that is a state and a factor, Yeah. but not, that doesn't mean that you've left the fold and that you've done nothing wrong. Job, uh, in, uh, you know, the book of Job mm-hmm. uh, struggles and doubts and shouts and is angry at God. And none of it's accounted to him as uh, unrighteousness because right. he never blasphemes God. He's right. just upset with him. He yeah. never uh, decries his name. He never, you know. Yeah. He even says, God, come down here and give me an audience. I want to yeah. ask you some questions. Yeah. And God, <laughs> and at the end, God says that he was righteous through the whole thing. And so never sinned. Yeah. So none of this is wrong. Yeah. And I wanted to, to reemphasize that. That's good. Um, but my big takeaway on this is uh, is on that posturing we talked about. Mm. I think that's a, a, a huge deal as far as um, turning fr- fr- from doubt turning to a sort of um, a bitterness, um, if that makes sense. So so the posture of of the grace and the the um, just the perfection of God. Yeah, and really not from the how much is asked of us, but how lucky we are. Um, and doubt uh, can come in and undermine all of that and be like, I don't know if I even believe any of this to begin with, but, and that, that's its own thing, you know, there's yeah, its own struggle. Yeah. yeah. But in the, in the road from, from being a doubtful Christian to being a post Christian, I think that posturing is, is super, super critical. So in, in all of this and in, in the, the highs and lows, keeping that posture, I think, um, and the posture would be of, like humility, gratitude, yeah. mm-hmm. Um, yeah, humility uh, and gratitude. What else would you add to that? I mean, that's probably the the bedrock of it. Mm-hmm. Um, just wonder at the the power of God of mm-hmm. his his mm-hmm. his scale. His mm-hmm. you know the scope of him is, um, and and the realization you say this a lot. You know, you only have three pounds of brain. Realizing your human limitations. Yeah, even in your understanding. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, again, feel no shame in doubting. But this, that posture, I think, is really key to maintaining an accurate view of what the God of the Bible. And, says he is and navigating wisely to find your way there. Right. So regardless of what you believe about it, that is the reality as the Bible says it is. And so how you feel about that becomes its own thing. Mm-hmm. But but maintaining that um that posture. I love that. I think my takeaway and it's something we actually didn't even talk about, but it's it popped in my head as you were talking mm. is that we're really talking about a relationship with God. What God wants with us is relational. He he wants to know us and for us to know him. And when I hear these guys deconstructing their faith, they're disassembling tenets of belief. 
Hmm. They're disassembling behaviors of bad people. They're struggling with philosophical ideas. And um, those are all normal. But what I what I try to attribute, the, the framework I think, my takeaway is, work this relationship the way you would work any relationship. Mm-hmm. So like if you're married and you get married and you think, man, I love this. Well, there are people who turn around years later and go, I never should have married her. I wasn't in love in the first place. I was out of my mind. I was pressured to believe that. And they start deconstructing their decision to marry this person. Right. Rewriting the history of, yeah. of what, what really was. Right. And, and, and sometimes there's legitimacy in those discussions. I'm not trying to say there never is. What I am also saying is if you build the relationship, if you get back to when, when if you and I have a conflict in our relationship, father and son, and there's mm-hmm. a betrayal, there's a wound, there's a disappointment, there's a failure of some sort, perceived or real. What has to happen is we have to get together and say, hey, this relationship matters. Yeah, Help me uh, get past this so we can keep our relationship going. Mm-hmm. And what I don't hear in these um, deconstruction conversations is about that relationship. Instead, it's about these uh, these constructs of the Christian faith that don't hold water for them. Right. And I say, well, get back to the relationship. You know, yeah. invite God. To reveal himself to you more. Stay humble there and desiring to know him and to be known by him. Because at the end of the day, what I think God wants for you is to have a relationship with him. As confused as you can be or Mm -hmm. as angry as you can be or as wounded as you can be, that's all great. Just don't bail on the relationship. Yeah, if the frustration is with the the man-made stuff, the systems or the, the culture or the limits of our own understanding yeah, or the, then, or the narrowness of our perception. We're looking through a knot hole mm-hmm. at this, uh, this eternal cosmic thing God is doing. And we're looking through a knot hole at a minute in time and trying to draw eternal conclusions from it. Yeah. So we have a very limited view. Take that to God and let the relationship keep going. That's great. That's awesome. All right. So, man, we hope this has been helpful. Please uh, email us, jimandjohn.com, info at jimandjohn.com. Love to hear from you. Let us know some topics you'd love for us to talk about. If there's part of this conversation where you go, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, give us the yeah, buts, and we'll continue the conversation uh, at another time. Yeah. We don't want this to just be us talking at you. If you have a response or something you think we completely just went right over our head, uh, yeah, please send us an email at info at Jim and John. Yeah, and we have this idea that one, every once in a while we'd like to do just a Q&A podcast where these are the questions people have sent us, and we'll just walk through some of those questions. So if you have a question you'd like for us to answer, if it's silly, personal, funny, uh, philosophical, theological, whatever, if you say, I want to hear what you guys think about this, send us those questions, and we will do an episode that is just Viewer questions, listener questions, not viewers, listener questions. <laughs> right. If they were viewers, you wouldn't have shown me your lucky uh, zipper tab. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. All right. <laughs>